With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Wargle, the football and men's basketball beat writer for BadgerBlitz.com of the Rivals Network. Welcome in. Hope everyone out there is staying safe, staying healthy, wearing your mask if you're inside. The net, the numbers uh, in the state of Wisconsin are going down, which is always a good thing. So maybe, just maybe, we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel here in the state of Wisconsin. Certainly feels that way a little bit with college football. A Big Ten schedule has been released. Camp is going to open for a lot of schools this weekend. Wisconsin is going to open up their camp allegedly on Monday. Football is around the corner, less than a month away from the scheduled season opener between Wisconsin and Indiana at Camp Randall Stadium. That part of the schedule has remained intact. The rest of the schedule has been jumbled up a little bit. We'll get into that here in just a second. But with Parker, we're going to talk about the the Big Ten in terms of the schedule, the testing numbers. Will we have football in the fall? What's going on in the Big Ten West where he sees the Big Ten West shaking out? Will we play all 10 Big Ten games this season? And a little bit about Nebraska, kind of where Scott Frost has his team headed. Wisconsin will go to Lincoln for a second straight year uh, in week three this upcoming season. A little bit of a scheduling twist that we'll talk about with as well. So good conversation with Parker coming up here in a little bit. Full disclosure, I talked to Parker on Thursday morning, and I'm recording this Thursday night. And since then, uh, between that time period, some news has come out that makes some of our conversation a little bit earlier, a little bit different. Uh, Allow me to explain. Uh, We talked about testing numbers uh, with the University of Wisconsin that we hadn't gotten updated testing numbers in quite some time. Well, we got news today around five o'clock of the updated testing, and I'm going to read it to you verbatim in the press release. The University of Wisconsin student athletes have been returning to campus for voluntary workouts over the summer as part of a phased approach being implemented by the athletic department. Fall sports are now moving into official preseason practices. Part of that phased return involves COVID-19 testing. UW Athletics first tested student athletes on June 8th. Among 117 student athletes who were part of the initial group tested, two tested positive. The department released an update on July 8th, saying it had conducted a total of 428 COVID-19 tests, resulting in seven student athletes testing positive. As of August 5th, which is Wednesday, a total of 259 student athletes have returned to participate in workouts. A total of 1,788 COVID-19 tests have been conducted on student athletes and staff between June 8th and August 5th, and 21 student athletes have tested positive. Not too bad, all things considered, still more than you obviously want but it seems like Wisconsin student athletes are paying attention to things going on that can't be said for the University of Louisville, who dismissed three men's soccer players and suspended three others for their role in a weekend party that resulted in 29 positive COVID-19 tests among athletes. So that's where the catch is going to be this year with these student athletes. Can you prevent student athletes 
from being the college socialites that they all are. We've all seen it. We've all heard about guys after a big game will go out and drink with friends and celebrate and whatnot. And God knows what they do during the week. It's going to happen. Can it be contained or can you break that cycle? Parker and I will talk about that in a little bit as well. Wisconsin football is now 12th preseason poll in the Amway Coaches Poll. The first Amway Coaches Poll, Wisconsin finished 13th in that poll last season. The Big Ten has six teams in the top 25. Ohio State is two. Penn State is seven. Michigan is 15. Minnesota is 18. And Iowa is 23. Wisconsin, we thought, was going to play another school in the Big Ten East Division. Your Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, and Rutgers did not appear on their 2020 schedule. That fact is true. They avoid, though, Ohio State, Penn State. They will get Rutgers this year, the perennial doormat of the Big Ten East Division. That's where the schedule uh, is going to be a little different for Wisconsin. A lot of subtle changes happened. The new look schedule was released on Wednesday. It includes the six divisional opponents and the previously scheduled three East Division crossover opponents, which was the Indiana home opener and the traveling to Maryland and Michigan. But Rutgers is the 10th game that will happen at the end of the season. Uh, Kevin Warner, the new Big Ten commissioner, told Yahoo Sports, issuing a schedule does not guarantee competition this fall will occur in the Big Ten Conference. We felt collectively that this was the next logical and methodical step forward in our process to be able to at least put some planning in place for our fall sports seasons. Uh, After Wisconsin opens the season against Indiana, you will look at road games at Northwestern and at Nebraska. Then Wisconsin will come home and play Minnesota on September 26th. Then Wisconsin will go to Maryland. They will come back home for a home game against Purdue. They will have their first bye week on October 17th. They will then host Illinois on October 24th. They will then go to Michigan on October 31st. They will then have another bye week. They will uh, go to Iowa on November 14th, and then they will host Rutgers on November 21st. The initial schedule had UW hosting Nebraska and playing at Purdue. Those games have now been switched, and it is believed that going forward, they will alternate year in and year out. So next year, Wisconsin will host uh, Nebraska and go to Purdue, and it will go from there. The Big Ten championship game remains scheduled for December 5th, though it can be moved as late as December 19th. Uh, the Big Ten is now scheduled is now scheduled to be the first major conference to kick off the football season. Many of the other conferences are going to wait till the end of September to begin play. Although week one and two could be moved back to one of the two open dates on the schedule, and week three and four could be folded into bye dates. And the cross division games are currently scheduled for all schools in week one and week twelve, meaning that if something were to happen, that the Big Ten can just erase that schedule or those weeks. And you still have your uh, your divisional opponents, which are the most important ones. Uh, overall, 41 of the 70 games in the league's conference-only schedule can collapse into one of the two existing bye weeks. So the Big Ten wanted to do something that was agile and balanced and flexible. That's part of the reason why they were the first conference to cancel the non-conference games. There's also going to be a strict testing protocol in, major comp- in, in the Big Ten. It's one of the strictest in all of comp- in college sports. Football athletes, coaches, and staff in sports with a high risk of contact are required to take a minimum of two PCR, that's polymerase chain reaction, I butchered that word, I'm sorry, 
for the virus each week. Athletes must be tested before accessing the facilities upon their arrival to campus. So the Big Ten is doing everything they possibly can to make sure that everyone is safe and there's testing in place. But keep in mind, currently three Big Ten teams with Rutgers, Michigan State, and Northwestern are on pause from workouts because of COVID-19 outbreaks. And six overall have taken a pause at some point this summer. And I believe Illinois has had over 20 positive tests and they are still doing their workouts. So it's very interesting to see what is going on in the Big Ten. And just in case you're wondering now where that strength of schedule for Wisconsin ranks with adding Rutgers in the mix, they are easily Wisconsin's easiest schedule. Their strength of schedule rank is 3.18. That's easiest in the Big Ten. Next easiest in order, Ohio State uh, by 5.18. So Wisconsin by a wide margin. Penn State, Minnesota, and Northwestern. Uh, the hardest schedule in the Big Ten, Maryland. 9.65 is their strength, strength schedule. And also Illinois, Rutgers, Iowa, and Nebraska round out the top five there. So lots going on here for the University of Wisconsin. They're hopefully to get back to work on Monday for camp. No word as to what kind of access the media us will get or who we'll be able to talk to. My guess is going to be not much, but that is okay as long as we can have some form of college football coming up here in just a couple of weeks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Our guest this week covers Nebraska football for the Lincoln Journal Star. And before you say, why the hell do you have a Cornhusker beat writer on? Parker Gabriel got his roots, cut his roots, cut his teeth at the University of Wisconsin covering your Wisconsin Badgers. So we consider him one of our own. Parker Gabriel is our guest this week. Parker, how are things in lovely Lincoln, Nebraska? All going pretty well. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's August, so you got a lot of 90-plus degree days, which I don't know if, like, people in, in Madison or in Wisconsin know this. I didn't really until I moved here. Like, it's way hotter here. Uh, on a just a regular basis than it is uh, in Madison, and people all the time say to me like, "Oh, well, it's the Midwest." No, it's not really. Like, I, I think Lincoln is the plains. Like, I grew up in Euclid. That's you know, where, that's okay. That's the that's the Midwest, but this is the plains. So it's been uh, it's been it's been pretty brutal weather wise recently. Is there any truth that from the top of Memorial Stadium you can see all the way to Canada? <laughs> Probably you can. But the thing about that was, even if you could see to Canada, you probably can't see to Colorado because it's like 6,000 miles. <laughs> well, enough about geography. We got Parker on because we, there's a lot of news this week that we need to digest, and starting with the, the Big Ten schedule, um, what we think is going to be a Big Ten season starting up here in less than a month. Who knows what can happen between now and then. Uh Parker, first off, were you surprised at all that the Big Ten made the decision, that they were the first school to make the decision about canceling non-conference games? And when you saw the schedule, what were kind of your initial reactions to how the Big Ten kind of s- s- stacked up this schedule for this upcoming fall? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't so surprised that they were the first to cancel the non-conference. I mean, 
for most of the spring, the Big Ten was sort of leading from the front. Uh, if I remember right, I mean, everyone canceled the basketball tournaments in pretty short order, but I think the Big Ten might have been the first to do that. Um, you know, they, they canceled the spring uh, championships before any other conference, and so I wasn't surprised that they didn't wait to cancel a night conference. I was a little bit surprised that it took them, then they were the first to do that, and then the last to sort of lay out their plan for, um, you know, potential season. I think, um, you know, I, I know that there was a lot of discussion about start date, um, whether it was going to be September 5th, uh, which is, the you know, the normal week one of the calendar, which is ultimately what they landed on. I know they thought about moving it back. Um, I, just personally, um, it seems like the way they did it built in maximum flexibility. Um, if you wait until... If they were decided to wait until the 19th or the 26th, I understand that you know maybe that has some benefits in terms of students coming back to campuses. But I just think that the more flexibility and the more weeks you have to try to get games in, uh, the more likely you are to get them in. Now, does that mean you're likely to get them all in? Who knows? You know, it seems like a long shot, but um, it's going to be interesting to see if the if the Big Ten and, and, and all 14 schools can really ramp it up and be ready to play in, you know, four weeks. You wrote a story for the Journal Star yesterday, and you quoted uh, Nebraska's AD saying, this is huge, what we just did. Explain further. What What's so big about what Nebraska just did with this schedule? Well, I think he was, I mean, Bill was talking, Bill Moose, the Big Ten, was talking more about the, just the Big Ten in general. Not, I don't think that was so much about Nebraska. It was just, Right. You know, I think that everything has been so up in the air. And it's funny because just having a schedule on paper doesn't really, in the grand scheme of things, make football season less up in the air. Like, it's just a plan. And I think Kevin Warren said this yesterday, the, the Big Ten commissioner. You know, it's a plan that sort of gets you to tomorrow. Um, and so, but even still, Bill's thing was, this is a morale booster. It's a it's a psyche thing for the players and coaches and fans, really. Where okay, everyone has an opponent on a schedule that's been set, given these circumstances for uh, September fourth or for you know Wisconsin or September fourth, you know Nebraska September fifth. Um, you know where those games get played. Who knows? But now um, you know you can start preparing for an opponent and all of that stuff and that that might lend a, a little bit of normalcy for the next couple of weeks um, and give you something to think about other than the fact that it's all up in the air. So I think that was sort of the where, where you know, where Bill Moose was coming from on that was just, hey, you know, he, it's a plan, and that's better than what we had yesterday. No, I would agree with that. At least something's on, on paper. And, and for Wisconsin, nothing really changed here. They still open the season against Indiana on September 4th, a Friday night. But beyond that, everything else is kind of jumbled up. Same opponents to a degree. They add Rutgers as their 10th school. So Wisconsin got a little fortunate in that. I think I saw a schedule, strength of schedule ranking. Wisconsin now has the easiest of all the Big Ten teams in terms of strength of schedule. But the one thing that was a little different was the flip for Wisconsin. Uh, instead of hosting Nebraska, they're going to go to Lincoln this year early, I think in late September. And they're now going to host Purdue. So those were flipped. What did, I know you uh, read a statement from the Big Ten. You did some digging into that. What did you kind of learn about the flips of those schedules? 
Yeah, so in the, it's sort of interesting. I mean, you you saw the references to the Big Ten schedule being, um, you know, it's called the Jenga board and all of that. And mm-hmm. what they're going for is just, you know, sort of optimal flexibility. And for whatever reason, just because of the different combinations of games and, and who, you know, how it laid out, those uh, games to two affecting uh, Nebraska, and I believe two affecting uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin coming to Lincoln for a second straight year and then hosting Purdue, I think, for a second straight year. Correct. Um, for Nebraska, it's um, hosting Wisconsin for a second straight year and traveling to Purdue. So for whatever reason, that triangle of teams um, flipping the location of those games made the flexibility, it gave the Big Ten more flexibility in terms of uh, lining up five weeks and how many games you could sort of, you know, take out of one place and stick in another if you had to. So it's going to have a little bit of a ripple effect because uh, my understanding is that then next year, uh, you know, if you look at the 2021 schedule now, Wisconsin will be coming to Lincoln. That won't be happening. That game will be in Madison. So it is going to sort of reset the deck on on a couple of uh, divisional series, but um, it sounded like the... Uh, all of the athletic directors are on board with that change um, to, to sort of optimize the flexibility of the schedule this year. Well, that's nothing new, Parker. When you and I were covering Wisconsin back in the day, didn't they play like three consecutive meetings in Iowa at one point because the schedule kept resetting with all the new teams coming in? So, I mean, that's really nothing yeah, new. I don't think that, yeah. Yeah, the legends and, the legends and leaders to the division mm-hmm. and then adding uh, Maryland and Rutgers in there, there are some wonky stuff that happened where it was like all you played the same place like several several years in a row yeah now up up here in wisconsin the amount of information that we've had coming in fr- out of the U- of uw athletic department has been very small i think we talked to the strength and conditioning coach pretty early on once uh, summer workouts started and shortly thereafter we've talked to paul crest and other than maybe getting two or three updates on athletes testing positive for COVID-19. We haven't heard much in terms of when camp is starting or any progress on any fronts. What have you heard out of Nebraska from your Bill or Scott Frost? Um, where, where do you kind of know how Nebraska stands on all these different things? Yeah, so it's been sort of interesting here because we haven't heard all that often from Scott Frost himself a couple, a couple of times, though, so, you know, not much to complain about access-wise, given it's been a pretty pretty weird offseason, but Nebraska has um, sort of positioned itself and been willing to talk about how they've been pretty aggressive uh, in terms of, you know, they had quite a bit of their team back in Lincoln before those voluntary workouts started June 1, and um, they had been... Uh, testing a bunch of the players before that, and so they were uh, proud of the fact. I guess is probably the best way you can say it that that they had uh, protocols developed and all that, and were were hit the ground running on June first with those voluntary workouts. And it's been sort of it's been mostly along those lines. Uh, since then, we have not had a regular updates uh, on on testing or positive test results. A couple of ad hoc. Um, updates, but but nothing sort of regular. And as far as I know, um, it's, it's Thursday now as we're talking. And as far as I know, uh, Nebraska is set to begin the camp phase 
um, on Friday, which is the first day they're allowed to because they're a, a September 5th start. So, um, you know, we, we don't, you can sympathize with this as a reporter. We really have no idea. Um, we're, we're guessing that any, you know, access interview-wise is all going to be remote. We really don't have any idea of how that looks. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things on the totem pole, um, that, that, they're, that, that, that gets slotted in a little further down the priority list, I guess is the way to say that. Yeah. When you're in the media, you think that every, you know, you have all these problems, and when you're not in the media, no one really cares. They just want, they just want their football sport. Who cares if you can't be there and write about the second string long snapper battle? Um, yeah. What fun is camp? You can't go if you can't go. Uh, you know, watch watch the long snappers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, those guys, you know, hardest working people in the business, right there. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I heard that you know Wisconsin was slated to open camp tomorrow, and that's not going to happen. There's been no timeline given to us. Just a statement from uh, UW that they're not going to begin uh, on-field workouts tomorrow. Um, so I mean, it's it's interesting too because Wisconsin opens a little bit before Nebraska on the fourth. But again, there's just no. No one knows, and it seems like this drumbeat right. happens every day where new information comes out and, and this and that. Now, I'm pretty sure that Barry Alvarez has come out with a, a comment to season ticket holders to prepare for no one to be in the stands, um, so yeah. which will be a big hit for the 80,000-seat uh, stadium, the surrounding economy. What is Nebraska doing? Because... Football series in Lincoln is awesome. I would compare it to Camp yeah. Randall, and that is the number one show in town. What is Nebraska hoping to do with their stadium? It's obviously going to be reduced capacity to some degree, but do they know what they're going to try to do at least? Um, you know, not really at this point. Um, you know, Bill Moose, the athletic director, has, been, has, has really sort of taken an optimistic tone and, and has said that he's holding out hope that, you know, they could be up to 50% or more, but that just seems exceedingly unlikely, especially early in the season. And and it's like, you know, Lincoln is, is like Madison, and it's like uh, East Lansing and Ann Arbor and a lot of the Big Ten, you know, Bloomington, I'm sure, um, although, you know, not so maybe with, not with 80 or 90,000 people going to a stadium, but the local economy is so directly linked to football in the fall, um, just like, you know, State Street is or, or, or like so many other college towns in America, that there's really, I mean, it, it, you could spend hours talking about all of the complications with all of this, right, because you can't, it's going to be devastating for those businesses if, if there's no fans in the stands or if people aren't allowed, um, you know, to, or if bars are, are closed or restricted or whatever, but at the same time, like, it's not going to do you any good in terms of public health if you have only 10,000 people in the stadium, but you've got 50,000 people, you know, wandering the bar scene and trying to tailgate and all of that right. um, around the stadium, whether it's on Breeze Terrace or in the Haymarket here in Lincoln or whatever. And so it's going to be really interesting, and I think it's going to be, uh, I don't know, controversial probably, but um, really just... I think it's going to be problematic one way or another, you know, for, for how all of these schools are going to go about uh, handling it. I know that Nebraska has been saying, you know, that they want to try to have as many people in the stadium as possible. Right now, um, 
I think it'll be a couple more weeks before um, they feel like they really want to come out and say exactly what it is the plan is going to be. Of the 10 games on Nebraska's schedule, how many do you think Nebraska ends up playing? Oh, man, that's a great question. God, it's, it's so hard to say. Um, I, I think it's possible that they get most of them in, um, maybe seven or eight. It's weird because I, I sort of think, like the two ways I think about it is that they'll get all or most of them in or they'll get none of them in. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, like look what, happened, look what has happened in baseball, you know. You've had the two major outbreaks with the Marlins and the Cardinals. And outside of that, everything has gone on. Not, it's not 100%. It's not totally smooth, but it's been like almost normal outside of those um, team outbreaks that have shut down those two teams temporarily. And so, obviously, that's a professional sport, and, and those you know, players are getting paid uh, you know, a lot of money and all of that. I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's going to take um, not only athletic departments, but uh, university administrations being on board with pushing through. Um, you, know, you, just, you just know there's going to be positive tests. There's no way around it. There's going to be. Um, and so part of it's going to be the tolerance of, of the you know, school administrations and all that, and I just don't, I don't know what the appetite for that is going to be among Big Ten schools. Well, I, I think we're going to find out. Yeah, I'm usually a glasses half full kind of guy, but when you see Rutgers shutting down their workouts because of COVID, and you see Northwestern with a positive test, you see Illinois had twenty three, I think twenty some positive tests, and they're still working out. Um, yeah. Ohio State is shut down for a time. I think Indiana shut down for a time, and this is just in your own circle here, and then. When you start intermingling uh, in a full contact sport like football, you know there's going to be tests. And you mentioned too with with baseball, and you mentioned the professional athletes. That's where I think college is going to struggle because these are unpaid amateur athletes in a college setting that's made for socializing and partying and interaction. I just have a hard time seeing that these guys are going to be willing a hundred plus players are going to be willing to sequester themselves for an entire semester to play football. That's where I kind of get a little leery of if this is really going to work. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing that's so hard about it. I mean, think about with baseball. Like, baseball went through their the summer camp, you know, spring training 2.0. And, yeah, there were, some, there were some positive cases, especially on the intake testing as guys came back in. But then you went through a couple weeks there where it was pretty good, you know. But as soon as teams went out on the road, right. they're together all the time. And so that's one of the things that, you know, every school in the Big Ten is going to be challenged with not only creating an environment on their campus where guys can work out and practice and be at least somewhat, you know, safe, or you got to find ways to mitigate risk there. But then you got to figure out how to take the show on the road, even if it's only for, you know, 48 hours or maybe, I mean, who knows, maybe... Uh, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin or Iowa and Nebraska, I mean, that might be a day, that might be this year, you know, a day trip uh, on a bus or something like that. We'll see. Um, but it's really, that part of it is going to be hard. And then think about the timeline, too, of, so Nebraska is supposed to play at Rutgers September 5th. Uh, classes here start August 17th, but the first week is online only. So the second week of class, kids are going to be in classrooms to some degree starting August 24th, so 
you've got an influx of twenty to thirty thousand kids on campus in class on on August twenty fourth, and then nine days later, um, you've got a hundred plus, you know, getting on a plane together and going to a hotel on the East Coast. Like it just, even if your protocols are really good, and even if ninety nine percent of your kids take it seriously, it's just it's hard to imagine it going off without a hitch. That doesn't mean that there's no chance at all and that there won't be some games played or whatever, but it's just hard to imagine. The odds are stacked so far against it working smoothly um, that it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. If money wasn't a factor, do you think the Big Ten would have just gone division only and just capped the season at six games? And then the two division winners would have played each other because Big Ten, there's a lot of money in this with with TV rights. And the more games you can play, the more money you get with TV rights. Don't you think if money wasn't involved that you just would have kept it the schools in your division because those are the schools that are closest to you geographically? Because you mentioned Nebraska has got to fly as far away from their campus as possible to play the team furthest east to start the season. Uh, you that's would just shut down because of a COVID. That's outbreak. already yeah. shut down because of a COVID break. Do you do you think that was ever reasonably considered or or no? I thought I thought if you were trying to maximize the number of games played, like I thought as a one off one year thing, that the idea of playing a double round robin in the division would have been pretty cool. Yeah, you know, like you play everyone home and away. You would have had twelve games. I like that. Um, that's a good idea. It would, it would have been all in the division. Um, but I guess the Big Ten, you know, they didn't want to listen to me on that one. So, um, you know. They have, they have, yeah, they haven't called me either. You know, Parker, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think, though, money has such a big is such a big factor in it. And, and you've seen some people be more open about that than others. And, and here, you know, I mean, you're talking about in Nebraska in seven home games and for the 2019 fiscal year. Um, did thirty million dollars in ticket sales and six million dollars in concessions alone. That's before you know radio and licensing and all of that stuff. And so you're talking about just literally in the stadium tickets and concessions. You know, six million per home game, um, and that's like that's a lot of money. And so you got to try to find a way to make that up somehow, or that's the approach that the Big Ten has taken. You know, so far as to try to make that up and. Um, that means trying to play as many games as possible uh, and have as many TV slots as possible. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how far uh, how far they can take it. Assuming that we have a Big Ten football season, I do want to get your your gauge on the Big Ten West. It feels like Wisconsin is going to be right there again, um, and is going to be a, a, one of the probably the the class of of the league. Um, you know, Iowa. On paper, looks pretty good, but they're dealing with all this off the field stuff. Nebraska is still, I think, in rebuilding. Um, Lovey Smith thinks that Illinois is a top team in the Big Ten West. I don't quite see that yet. Purdue's kind of that wild card to a degree that they yeah. appear to be taking some steps forward under Jeff Brom, and then last year they took a huge step back. And you never know what you're going to get out of you know PJ Fleck. Um, it, it appears that. Minnesota could be a, a, a team that could really take that next step forward, but then you know, their star wide receiver, Rashad Bateman, announced that he's going to skip this upcoming season to prepare for the draft. What do you see out of this Big Ten West division? What's the school that you think can challenge Wisconsin, or can no one challenge Wisconsin this year? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I was I would have leaned toward Minnesota, and I, you know, it's not like for shot Bateman. I mean, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong; like he's a game changing player. I don't want to just say, go from saying I thought they were going to maybe be a contender to saying, no, they're not. Right, I agree. One guy. Yeah. But at the same time, like, if you zoom out a little bit and think about what made that offense so dangerous last year, like, yeah, they ran the ball well uh, most of the year and, and all of that, but a lot of it was um, how efficient Tanner Morgan was, and it was the play of their wide receivers. And with Tyler Johnson in the NFL and now Rashad Bateman, uh, gone and Kirk Soraka, their offensive coordinator, is at Penn State now. I, mean, I think it's just going to look considerably different there. That doesn't mean that they can't be a threat in the division, but I sort of I, I thought of them as probably the team I'd pick number two behind Wisconsin in the division. I think it's maybe a little more muddled now. The thing is, there's a lot of veteran quarterbacks in the in the division. Obviously, you know Jack Cohn is a is a you know, going to be a multi-year starter. Um, Tanner Morgan started last year. Um, even Peyton Ramsey at Northwestern, you know, has played a lot uh, at Indiana before he transferred. Um, you know, Nebraska's got Adrian Martinez, will almost certainly be the starter, and they'll be his third year starting. Um, and Iowa doesn't have that. You know, that they're going to have a young guy. Uh, and so that's an area where in a weird offseason, it's hard to tell how much that's going to matter. All of which is a long way of saying, I think it's a wide open division. I would say that Wisconsin is pretty solidly the favorite in my mind, um, even given the star power that they have to replace, um, which is obviously a lot. Um, but the combination of the system, you know, the offensive line, the consistency, veteran quarterback, their defense, um, and then the, you know the schedule certainly doesn't hurt. Um, I would say it's sort of Wisconsin, and then uh, who the hell knows after that. I'll get you out here on this. Um, it's no shock for me to tell you that I think Nebraska's fan base could be one of the most starved in college football. Uh, they haven't yeah. won a conference title in over 20 years, and I think a lot of people thought that Scott Frost would come in after his run at uh, UCF and turn this thing around in an instant. It hasn't happened quite yet. They've finished 3-6 and six in the league the last two years. I know that he had a lot to kind of scrub over from Mike Riley to kind of change the culture a little bit. Where is Scott Frost now heading into year three? Is he in a better spot, or is he still kind of trying to figure out what exactly he has to work with, and this is going to be maybe a longer rebuild than a lot of people um, in Nebraska want it to be? Yeah, I think, I think it's both. I think it's both. You know, I think that it's gonna, it, it has been a longer rebuild already that people here you know, wanted it to be, but I, it's not over yet by any stretch. I mean, it's interesting because after this year, after the 2020 season, there will be almost exclusively all players in the program that, that Scott Frost and his coaching staff uh, recruited. One of the things that goes along with that is you see some skill players. They really like Adrian Martinez at quarterback, and they like the other quarterbacks they've recruited. Um, they, they like their young running backs, but they're, it's, it's a really inexperienced group behind um, a senior who will start this year. Similar conversation at receiver, although you're seeing some, you know, like Wando Robinson as a promising young player in the league. So all of that, like there, there are some pieces in in skill rank in, in skill rank, sort of like you 
get this idea of what it is that they want to do over the long term. But the thing about Nebraska that's so much different about, you know, UCF or even Oregon is just being in the Big Ten and having to deal with that size and physicality week in and week out. And I think, if anything, that's what that's the part of the, the rebuild that I think was underestimated by a lot of people. And frankly, you know, it's possible that it's part of what's been underestimated about why the you know Nebraska's first ten years in the Big Ten have looked the way they did, where it was they looked like they were going to be a perennial top twenty team. Like when I was in college, you know, when we covered that that first game, then like two thousand eleven at Camp Randall, two thousand twelve um, in Lincoln, and the Big Ten championship game, you sort of thought like, ah, well, it's not they're not a top ten. I guess they were a top ten team in twenty fourteen, but. You know, it's not like, this might not be a national powerhouse, but it's going to be one of those schools um, that's going to be in that top 20 kind of range and is going to sort of be in the mix year to year. And that's, I think that the fact that it hasn't been that way over the last six years is really about the trenches. And that, that they've just been underpowered and undersized on the offensive line and the defensive line. They've gotten pushed around too much. And, and one thing that I'm interested to see this year is that maybe that doesn't, that doesn't happen quite as much. Um, they've got a really veteran offensive line and one that should be the strength of the team. Um, and they're big on the defensive line, young but big. And so if those two things, like if you watch Nebraska play this fall and you think, ah, they're not great, but man, they look like a Big Ten team in the trenches, I think that's about, I think that's about as much progress as you could realistically expect this year. But if that happens, you're going to start to look forward a couple of years and say, okay, I can see how this is going to be a relevant program going forward. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, I, me- I remember those games early on, and you thought, okay, this this is going to be a real litmus test for Nebraska. That first game back in 11, and Wisconsin just ran all over them. And you thought, yeah. well, okay, they just weren't prepared for it. Then the next year in Lincoln, Wisconsin had kind of a so-so team, and they won that game. I think it was like 30-27. But then that Big Ten championship game in 12 was like the eye-opening moment when Melvin Gordon yep. and James White and Monte Ball just ran over them in that 70-31 game. And it's kind of been that theme ever since. You know, uh, I think they had 539 yards in that game, but – that wasn't arguably the most impressive. It was Melvin running for 408 and three quarters um, right. back in 14. It was Jonathan Taylor. He averaged 225 yards against him in three meetings. It just always seems like that's been the one area, and you touched on it, the one area that's been holding them back is their inability to get back to that black shirt type defense, and that's caused so much stress and strain and everything else that all has kind of crumbled under Bo, Mike, and now early under Scott. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the interesting thing is that they want that, you know, that they want obviously a black shirt type defense, a fast athletic, um, you know, physical defense. But Scott Frost is a, you know, he's coached defense in his career, but it's an offensive-minded program now, right? I mean, he came from Oregon. He's a Chip Kelly disciple. Um, Every, you know, he played in the NFL under... Um, you know Mike Tomlin and that and that sort of um, that sort of coaching tree, but he's an offense. He calls the plays on offense. It's an offensive first uh, program, and so I think they, they need to get bigger and stronger on defense, but also on offense because I think that they've recognized that just playing fast 
doesn't cut it in the Big Ten that, you know, Indiana played fast for a lot of years and they got waxed in part because of it. Because if you can't, you know, run the ball and be physical, you're just not going to last in this league. And so um, that the challenge, and it's a big one, is to be able to play on offense with the tempo and the diversity and the, you know, explosive mindset of a program like Oregon. But you have to be able to run the ball at, at teams like Wisconsin and Iowa and Ohio State uh, and Minnesota now. And, and that's, like, that, that's a big undertaking to try to be able to do all of those things. He is Parker Gabriel. You can read his work with the Lincoln Journal Star at journalstar.com. Follow him on Twitter at Husker Extra. PG and have a new Glarus beer for him. He doesn't get that at the local convenience store down there in Lincoln. Parker, good to talk to you. Be well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you over Zoom over in the post game press conference sometime soon. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, man. <laughs> that is Parker Gabriel, and that is our podcast for this week. For all the latest on Wisconsin football, basketball, and recruiting, log on to badgerblitz.com. Follow us on Twitter at badger underscore blitz. And follow me on Twitter at the Badger Nation, and follow our publisher John McNamara at McNamara Rivals. We will talk more Wisconsin football next week. We'll start to get into position breakdowns on our podcast. Hopefully, we'll have some news, some good news to share about camp starting. Uh, college football, hopefully, knock on wood, is right around the corner. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, and thank you, as always, for listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.